cults, coercion, and sexuality in society. These are the topics for The Frankie Files. I'm Frankie Tees, your host, and I'll continue to focus on my own family story as well as news and recovery info for those who've survived, especially the adult children of cults. New each Tuesday. See FrankieFilesPodcast.com for more. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 66 of Frankie Files Podcast. This will be another installment of the Morningland Papers. Today, I'll speak with co-survivors of Morningland about the Signal Tribune article, which came out April of this year, 2023. Three of us were interviewed by investigative reporter Kristen Naim of Sig Trib, and the link to the article is in the show notes if you want to follow along. I have special guest Lee O., and my mom join me to correct, react, and discuss the first article written in about 20 years about the place we all went to in the 70s. You listeners may know that this cult is still around. It's in its 50th year. One of the reasons I started speaking out in 2022 is because of this. The place is using the same techniques which were used by their master, Sri Donato, to grift, manipulate, and take from the public. Even though their membership is way down at approximately 100 or so, that's what I've heard through a couple of people who are in touch with those who've recently left. The article starts, Is there a cult operating in Long Beach? Survivors claim family separation, sexual abuse, and coerced divorce. The article at Signal Tribune has a picture of the building front 7th Street entrance and pictures of myself, my twin, and other members of the church in the 80s and an aerial view of the entire complex, which they probably took by drone. The Signal Tribune is put out in digital form on paper, and this true crime category story was put out in the week of the Grand Prix, which is a huge annual rates car event in Long Beach. The writer contacted me after I posted on Reddit in the Long Beach group. It was a post about being sex abused and having my family separated there in Morningland. We'll read the entire article for you, and we'll comment on it. And Mom's going to start. Here we go. After decades of silence, a woman is sharing her story of growing up in Morningland, an alleged cult based in Long Beach, and accusing its leaders, some of whom are still in power, of sexually abusing her as a teen. Quote, handmaid's tale got nothing on me, end quote, said Frankie Tees, who preferred to use her professional name rather than legal name. Between the ages of 8 and 22, Tees's life revolved around a religious sect in Long Beach, Morningland, which steadily grew following its inception in 1973 by founder Daniel Sperato, known as Donato, to his followers. Tease said her mother, Judy, was lured into the alleged cult in 1974 after attending a Parents Without Partners event in North Long Beach purportedly meant 
to support single parents. Upon arrival, Tease, her twin sister, and their mom were greeted by three women dressed all in white who treated them to pizza and astrology readings. Afterwards, Judy and her girls were invited by the women in white to visit their church. At the time, Judy said she was curious about spiritual paths free from traditional religion. While visiting the church, Judy was enamored by its strong female leadership. She recalls being captivated by Patricia Sperato, Morningland's soon-to-be leader, and the women clergy members dressed all in white, called gopis. Quote, the most appealing thing that got me at first was all the women that were in charge and doing something with their lives, end quote. Judy said, quote, now, if you go back into the 70s, you've got to think about how culture was back then. It was a little different. Women definitely had a glass ceiling. This was new to me, end quote. So the 70s, big time different. There was a church on every corner. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. There's Protestant churches everywhere around. Morningland was kind of a new thing to me. There were definitely some new type of um, spiritual things happening that, that later became, got, were given the term new age. Um, but, you know, they weren't, at least from my, the way I saw it at then there, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there was one in every corner they, they were, they were a fairly rare thing. Um, but again, that's just my particular, my personal experience, I suppose. So <laughs> like Synanon, I am, um, all these other transcendental meditation, East meets West type religions were definitely springing up. Right, absolutely. And they, they had been since the 60s. Now, I have to uh, make a comment on on uh, the way this was written. I was not enamored with Pat Sperato because I didn't see Pat Sperato. She was down in Escondido. So my entrance into Morningland was Dan Sperato and Morning Star. And all the gopis, I can't name them all. The reading that I had was with Morningstar. And I remember the church's uh, Sunday sermons was all the gopis at that time. Yep. My enamor was with the gopis and the hope that my daughters had a future because this was like just breaking grounds for my mental upbringing of what a woman should be. Mm -hmm. And for me, what stands out in this section is she shows, Kristen Naim, the writer for Signal Tribune, shows the trafficking that's kind of subtle. But we are just in Girl Scouts, and there's a group called um, the Girls and Boys Club of Long Beach that's like a national thing. And it's also in the area, North Long Beach slash Lakewood in California. And my mom and I can't pinpoint where she got the invite for parents without partners. We've been trying to nail that down for some time. And this is an organization that still exists, parents without partners. You're thinking, I'm going to go there and meet, you know, to be blunt, like another husband, or my mom was not thinking that. But resources, resources for a parent without a partner <laughs> like it's should be pretty straightforward instead they got pizza and astrology readings a little bit of a switch and bait there i thought that was well said because to me then when i look back in broad strokes 
that changed my life, that Parents Without Partners meeting. And it changed it forever. I hadn't really um, noticed that so much until you pointed it out that, so you went to a Parents Without Partners event, but then you were greeted there by the Gopis. But, well, and I'm assuming when you say by three women all dressed in white, you were talking about the Gopis, Morningland Gopis. Yeah, so it's making me wonder what the heck were they doing there? Were they were they actually, I mean, what was the connection between Morningland and Parents Without Partners? Because I've heard of Parents Without Partners for some time before Morningland was a thing and after. I wonder if they just had that event and called it that as a, you know, as a way to, to make a connection. I can add my two cents to that. Uh, organizations like that uh, have visitation solicitors that present like uh, insurance or dental help hmm. or psychic readings. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Right. <laughs> they are approached. Right. right. They are Not approached true. by right. a variety of people selling things and do have 10 or 15 minutes to uh, entertain, so to speak. They snuck in there, huh? Yes. <laughs> Did you ever go back to Parents Without Partners? No. See? <laughs> no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So that so the organization probably just said, you know, the Morningland at the time rented their space from them. No, no, it was at a public pizza place. Literally a pizza joint. Like um and one you might see, um, it was either me and Ed's near Lakewood, on Lakewood both or I think it's on Lakewood Boulevard. I don't remember. It's like an independent one. To articulate this morally, as you're asking, I'm, I'm seeing how it might not be clear. Um, the pizza place simply hosted an event. The event was put on by Parents Without Partners, and Morningland was invited to be their guest speaker that week. Who, who knows how many weeks? So what was curious to me is we were in North Long Beach. And as you know, the temple is in East Long Beach at 7th and Molino and Ohio. So the whole city block now. 2600 East 7th Street, uh, Long Beach, for those who don't know, in California. And this would have been like 20 minutes east of us. So it's not like come to our uh, church in your neighborhood. We were not in their neighborhood. So that was interesting, too. And that might be like a little asterisk for people who like Celia Williamson who is the trafficking professor that I spoke with. Yeah, a little asterisk there. It's like, how did you first even get on the radar of this place? You know, we weren't in the neighborhood. We weren't walking by and said, I'd take a flyer. It was aggressive marketing. It was aggressive coming into our worlds. And she was at a pivotal time going from seven to eight, starting a new job. And we were getting into all kinds of social things, you know, I don't laugh, but bowling, <laughs> other little sports. Then Morningland took our time. She goes to services, you know, gets readings. We play with the kids and the other stuff like music and uh, school activities ceased pretty quick after that. We didn't um, realize, but, you know, it was basically cutting ties from a lot of people that we knew. You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. So back to the article. 
Patricia Sparato came to power in the alleged cult after the death of her husband in 1976. Donato was an employee of the Boys and Girls Club in North Long Beach who had amassed a congregation that viewed him as their spiritual leader. In 77, shortly after the death of Donato Morningland, purchased a synagogue building near the corner of 7th Street and Molino Avenue in Long Beach, according to a 2004 article by the Long Beach Press-Telegram. Morningland also purchased the surrounding storefronts, growing their compound to include nearly the entire city block. It was at this compound that Tease and her sister would spend the majority of their youth. That is true. Tease said that when she was 10 years old, she and her family were given new names by Donato and pyramid-shaped medallions to wear. They began to dress in all white and pull away from their extended family. That is very true. So to break that down, we were initiated by Donato at age 10, and my mom was 19, 20 years older than us. So that was in 1975. And that would have been only on Ohio and Molina. It was only a half a year after we got there. Okay, okay. Because he died in November. That's right. Of that year. And um, that's right. We got to know him a, a little bit before he left. And in fact, one thing you and I talked about, Mom, is that in one of your readings, you were talking about not w- knowing where to go as a parent. I think it was. You could correct me on this. And Donato said you're in the right place. I asked uh, pretty straightforward. I, I wanted to move down to Escondido. And he said, no, you're in the right place. And then during that time, we would have got an initial reading, my sister and I, by Morningstar. And in the reading, she told us that we don't do astrology like others. We do the charts that reflect your time of birth. And so it's exactly opposite. And you have different paths. Lee and other listeners, my sister and I would finish each other's sentences. We were a unit And I mean, in school, we were like untouchable. We were popular. We were friendly. We were sporty. And we were kissing on boys by age 10 and a half or whatever. And then pretty soon after that, at age 11, we're coaxed to uh, move into the area, like within a mile of the temple. And then they expand the property. But I don't know. She says in this that it's 1977 after the death of Donato, they expand the property. So so the times we're speaking of here is that Ohio and 7th, people who were there back then know that that corner storefront with the glass um, bay windows was all they had. They didn't have the entire city block. They had, if I can jump in here, because I remember distinctly, they had the 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 storefront on the end on which would have been the far east side the corner of ohio and 7th then the next storefront down and they had broken the wall out between the two so there were basically two storefronts and then going west down the block a little ways they also rented out one of the center ones which was the boutique and in there they sold or the bookstore i think the bookstore boutique now they sold books and all kinds of stuff that you could buy there so yeah at that at that point, that's all there was, and then then they bought the temple down on the corner of the other corner, the west side of that block. So the corner of Molino and Seventh um, bought that old synagogue, and then 
gradually bought every storefront between <laughs> all the way all the way back going back east you know correct so they right when you they uh, obtained the synagogue and it had an adjacent what was called the dome room yeah it was like a ballroom kind of thing we called it the dome room and, and with the geodesic dome ceiling was beautifully constructed Buckminster Fuller type stuff. Did you have any comment? Yeah, I do. One more comment. In a conversation with Dan Sperato, one once upon a time, I mentioned the names that we were being given. And he said, I know nothing about that. It's all Shree. <laughs> right. What a surprise. So the names did not come from Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't. He wasn't. He was. He didn't give a shit about that stuff. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. My opinion, but anyway. Going on with the article, Morningland after the death of Donato. By the time Tease was 11 years old, Patricia was leading Morningland, and Tease's family moved a block away from the Morningland compound to be closer to their place of worship. Patricia was very charismatic leader. I had said Sunday services were extremely beautiful. No one in the family suspected that Patricia and the Gopis' power disguised dark secrets about Morningland, which threatened to tear them apart. Tease would go on to accuse Patricia and three of her disciples of sexual assault and abuse. That's right, I did. Former member Lee Offenhauer, that would be me, <laughs> recalled that with Donato gone, Patricia allegedly swiftly moved to take control of Morningland and crush any resistance to her absolute authority. Just as an aside, this was the, I think this was the sentence I was a little bit quibbling with a bit because it didn't happen right away. But then again, as I thought about it, it kind of did because at the ceremony where Donato, his funeral in Escondido was when she at that point, basically, you know, started started this intense campaign of loyalty tests, let's just say. And one of the gopis at that point was removed. But after that weekend, the long weekend passed, things got pretty good for about a, over a year, actually. So that's why I, I'm quibbling with that sentence. It, you know, so she, she did swiftly move to take control, but then she backed off and she was very cool. Things were pretty cool for about a year, at least from my point of view. Again, who knows what was going on behind the scenes. And to to add to that, we did an entire episode on the death of Donato, where a Gopi let me read her writings from that day where she witnessed it. And you guys should definitely read, listen to that or read it on YouTube while listening with the closed captions. And it really shocked me. Like, we all wondered what the heck went on that day that Donato died in the lodge in Crestline, California. And we got an earful from GoBX. So check that out. So those who defied her were allegedly forced to go through, quote, clearing sessions, unquote, during which other members would continuously verbally and sometimes physically attack them. When they were 14 years old, Tease and her twin sister were initiated into a Morningland order called the Daughters of Isis. Tease told the Signal Tribune that this was when Morningland clergy began to instruct the twin girls to watch pornography, grooming them for sexual abuse. By the time they were 16, Tease said that she and her sister were, quote, fully submerged, unquote, into Morningland, spending all day at the compound, often not being able to leave until well after midnight. Her mother had been asked to do the same, 
but told clergy she had to continue working to provide for her children. Unbeknownst to their mother, Morningland leaders had pulled the girls out of high school. And they did this, I want to comment there, Lee, um, by Commons X5 had a car, uh, let's see, it was a Lincoln, New Yorker or a town car. I'm not sure if I recall. It wasn't a stretch, but it was a, a fancy car in my experience, you know, and they started picking us up from school when we were still in junior high, 14 to 15 going right to the temple. So he came in 1980, Terry Smith. Kalamazee X1 was still there. And the Kalamazees would pick us up from high, from junior high. Okay, it's my turn to put in a two cents. I was not notified. Right. I was not asked. Mm -hmm. No commu communication with me about this at all. I think one thing they learned from Escondido, don't give kids the permission slip to give to their parents. That doesn't work. That's a direct route that they were trying in Escondido, saying, um, we want to go here after school. And the parents were like, no. And the kids were like, if you don't, I'm going to run away or whatever hostile thing. It was quite emotional, you know, um, for the parents. And that got to police. And it's in one of the articles on x-morningladders.com the original version that you had worked on lee um so that that article exposed me to the fact they've tried this before but with us they succeeded and then the article does a pull quote which i was <laughs> i think this reporter really got me <laughs> um quote this is a perspective i can bring I didn't get lured in. I was just there with my mom and conditioned. I was never responsible for being attracted to these ideas so I could speak with impunity about how stupid this is. This is the advantage the cult kid has. And one of the things I really want to say, thank you, Kristen, for making that your poll quote, because that's like the cornerstone of my podcast is there's a lot of voices around cults. Usually it's experts, psychologists, and people who feel they know something about those churches or religions. Often it isn't the survivors and more often it's not the young people that went there who have a brutal honesty about what goes on in these places. And the number one thing I have to say is pedophiles and criminals love to hide in religion. Yes. And I just want to say that uh, that's an excellent point, Frankie. I mean, you're, you're totally right. The, the, the smallest, the, the smallest number of voices you hear are from folks like you who were pretty much just raised in it. you, you didn't really have a choice. It wasn't like you came in, you were searching for something. You were just there because your mom was there and, and everyone at that time thought it was just great, you know, and what a great thing. And so, yeah, <laughs> that, that is a unique and, and there's now I'm finding out, you know, doing more research, there's legions of young people in the 60s and 70s who are now in the 40s and 50s right. dealing with oh, it. Man. No, that's for sure. Okay. I appreciate that feedback too, Lee. Under Patricia's leadership, Morningland suffered its first major scandal in 1979 when Attorney General George Duke Majan, namesake for the Long Beach Courthouse, 
ordered a raid on the offices of Morningland's lawyer, Ed Masri, who is also known for his work with environmental activist Aaron Brockovich. Masri and Patricia were indicted on charges of attempting to bribe former California Lieutenant Governor Mervyn Dimely to interfere with a government probe into Morningland and other religious sects. Because the statute of limitations ran out on the charges, as the case was ongoing, the charges were eventually dropped. Um, I'd like to add here, too, that since the exmorninglanders.com website um, was reinvigorated recently and reposted, I just read that story, the long story, basically from, I think it was from the San Diego Union Tribune that was written probably around contemporaneously with with the with, when this is happening. In other words, in the early 80s or late 70s, it was written. Um, it's really enlightening. I had no idea that a lot of that stuff, about a lot of that stuff. Right. And I've got, I have to add that when I was starting to prepare for my podcast in 21 and I wrote my whole book, my memoir, which is not published, but I was also doing research about this time period. I went looking for a picture of Dimely, Mervyn Dimely. I'll be damned if I didn't have a memory with him. He was sitting in the kitchen with Sri Donato after a Sunday service. All the hustle and bustle was still going on. We were still serving food in the dome room. And she was sitting alone at her, you know, that huge glass table where probably still have it where um, she would, you know, give orders from in the kitchen. It's right at the stove. No, I don't remember that. Dimely, a lieutenant governor sitting with Sri Donato, looking at me like a lamb chop. He was salivating. Right. I was running in and out, doing my chores. And this man was looking at me like he he was going to cash in on gold. And I have no idea why or what happened as a result of all of that. It's a long and winding story. I do cover it in some of the substacks where I recap some of this. And in my book, which will be coming out later, but the quick rundown of this is the band Shiva was scheduled to play at some kind of election event for Daimali. And their then attorney, Ed Masri, gave a $10,000 check, but it was not marked for funding for election. At the same time, there was a Gopi who was trying to get her kids out of custody from her ex-husband or a divorcing husband who were in China. And they got busted on the accusation that this was a bribe. Right. There was a bribe to, to help with passing laws that protect small religion and other mm -hmm. perhaps things that we didn't ever get confirmed because it never came to trial. But as right. you guys know, the uh, attorney general after this did a raid on Morningland. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And <laughs> took all these files. They were looking for more, you know, collusion with government officials and stuff like that. So, you know, she really had her hand in, in the fire there. Indeed. Yeah. A lot went on. Interesting. You're listening to The Frankie Files. FrankieFilesPodcast.com This is all under allegations of broken marriages and families. Patricia also allegedly broke up and arranged marriages 
among her members, according to Offenhauer. His marriage was among them. Offenhauer would help perform music for the Morningland congregation and was heading into the temple one night in the summer of 1982 when his then wife informed him that they were getting dinner instead. He found this odd, but she told him it had already been cleared with Morningland leaders. Um, yes, that's, that is all true. Um, Offenhauer, that's me, <laughs> recalls that when his wife sat down at a restaurant, she began pounding back glasses of wine. Unusual behavior, since she was never a heavy drinker. She then told Offenhauer that Patricia had approached her at the Morningland compound during one of his musical performances and told her they needed to divorce. Um, so this next paragraph is quoting from me, very good, accurate quotes. Um, quote, my wife walks into the room, Patricia is in the back listening to us, and she calls her over and she says to her about me up there, she says, wouldn't you like to see him grow and blossom? Offenhauer said his then wife told him. Quote, now put yourself in my wife's situation. This is a question from the master about your husband, whom you dearly love. Would you like to see him grow and blossom? So your answer is yes, of course. Patricia says, do you want to know what's the one thing standing in his way? And my wife says, yeah, what is it? And Patricia says, you. Even though his spouse made it clear she didn't want a divorce, Offenhauer and his ex-wife went through with Patricia's request. Offenhauer continued associating with Morningland for six months until he couldn't stand it anymore and left. <laughs> That's all true. Yep. Other members were excommunicated, cut off from everything they knew suddenly and without warning and shunned by their loved ones still in Morningland. This was Judy's fate. Maybe we can comment on the fact that the cruelty of, you know, I think she had arranged the marriage that she then asked you to break up, if I'm not mistaken. That no, you are correct. I, I was going to interject that, that yes. <laughs> now, to be to be fair, uh, my my wife referred to in here as my wife, and I had been dating before that. But we I was dating a gal before that, um, you may remember Mila. Um, I don't know. Judy, you probably remember Mila. Maybe not. But but she and I were dating and we, we were talking about getting married before the big clearing sessions started in um, like the fall of, no, yeah, actually it would have been the fall, late fall of 1977. Um, and so we were both wound up in those clearing sessions. We both, we got separated at that point not because it was said specifically that you have to separate but i went on probation or, or sabbatical they called it for a month and uh mila went on sabbatical for six months and when you were on sabbatical you were not supposed to associate with any other disciples so here we were married not married but living together and had talked about getting married so as obedient disciples you know we we put our relationship on hold. And then it just sort of seemed like she was never going to come back, at which point Celine and I, who then later became my wife, started to date. But after Mila's um, 
sabbatical was over, she came back to the temple and we started to reconnect and get back together. Um, and this would have been now we have to fast forward about, well, this was, yeah, late 1978 at this point. So um, what happened was Patricia called me into her office and, you know, to make a long story short, basically said, you're, you're better off with Celine, your, the gal you're currently dating, rather than your old, you know, fiance, almost fiance, Mila. So, so Mila and I then broke it off, you know, which was in a way okay by all of us. You know, it was, it was so much turmoil at that time. Honestly, I couldn't even tell you what my feeling was. <laughs> well, that's asterisk there, Lee. That's very effective stuff, right? Oh, yeah. So much turmoil. You can't even know your own thoughts. That's a, this is the techniques they use. And it's no no fault of yours that you didn't because it's like, I remember, and to make a note to listeners, clearing sessions were a session where in a group you come together and it's led by whoever is chosen to do so. And people harangue on each other until they can't see straight, verbally. Yes, indeed. It was pretty much torturous, psychological torture, I would call it. Yes, and it was taken from Synanon, which is called attack therapy. I did my research on that. I was informed by Dr. Lalish, who was on the show. She's a sociologist studying many different groups, but she did study Synanon, and it was definitely brutal. The attack therapy is getting people in a group and saying, you can say anything here, and it won't be held against you. Of course, everything's held against you. <laughs> well, I mean, how can it not be held against you? I mean, come on, if I'm, if you and I are in a group... And I say, you know, you're a bitch. And they say, nothing will be held against you. Well, everybody heard that. It hurt you. They went, oh, God. And so now everything's happy and we go about our ways. Well, no, because you've just been hurt by me. And all these people now think that they're, you know, I mean, it's just bull to say (laughs) they will never be held against you. It is, but it's systematic. It's systematic and it's layered. I saw too much of this. And when I look back now, I mean, I witnessed the crimes taking place. Like, if you interject like she would to someone that this is not your correct spiritual mate, you now interject so much doubt. Hmm. And it ruins the relationship. It'll beat over time. But she was so professional at this. No, it was all... It was all done. Well, not always. It depended. I mean, the way I've come to look at it over the years is it depended on what spot in her psychopathology she was at. What, in other words, what, you know, she went, she went, she went, she cycled between, between paranoia and I don't know, something else. Let's, let's just say. So if she was, but, but all those thoughts from the paranoia phase, they didn't go away. It's just that she got a lot less mean about how she, how she, uh, you know, um, expressed them and, and a lot less. Yeah. So, so she would still say, well, this is what needs to happen, but you know, and she even told me, I mean, it's, she said, well, you know, we now we, you have free will understand we can't interfere with your free will, but <laughs> you know, it would be better from our point of view if you did this. And so, you know, here we are like, you know, we're sincere about our spiritual growth. And we think at that point that she's 
got the keys to that and knows us better than we do. And so we go, okay, you know, sure. Okay. Well, that's my choice. All right. Then I'll, I'll choose what the master wants me to do. And if anybody asks me, it was my choice, <laughs> right? Illusion of choice is one of the number one tactics used in hypnosis and in manipulation. You are you know, I can't even count. If I had a nickel for every time I heard, you're here of your own free will. Yeah, right. It disarms that part of your mind that's critically thinking right then, what's wrong with this picture? Yeah, right. right. Why are why is there so much anger and hate going on in a temple of love? Right, exactly. Other members were excommunicated, cut off from everything they knew suddenly and without warning, the article says, and shunned by their loved ones still in mourning land. This was Judy's fate. Once her children reached legal adulthood at 18, Judy said she was kicked out of mourning land one night around 1984. 25 members, Judy among them, were told they were no longer welcome at the compound without any explanation. She's still not exactly sure why. I am. Let me comment. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> the years that follow, they needed her out of the way. I got to comment on this. Please. Oh, God. There is no question of the date of when that w took place. It was specifically on my daughter's 18th birthday evening. Wow. Ding. Like a yep. midnight. Boom. Yeah, very calculated. Wow. And... Uh, uh, they are now free of me. They being mourning Lynn. Uh, no, they're, they being the children, um, because now <laughs> they don't need me. Well, we weren't and looking to I, be free. When I did go home, some of their possessions were missing. They had, evidently, Frankie can talk about this, they were uh, sent home earlier that day to take some of their, their things with mm -hmm. them. So I didn't know all this. Nothing was talked to me prior to that at all. Um, let's see, what else was I going to comment on? Uh, I, it says here she's not sure exactly why. I don't know how uh, this writer got that impression. I'm really sorry. I really do know exactly why. And that I've already talked about. That is exactly why they were, wanted me out of the way. Yeah, they wanted access to the twins. Yeah. We were producing music. We were in a sex ring with Kamazi X5, Shoku Saravati, and Sri Donato. Kamazi X1 was there. Um, he would sing jokingly during our quote mark training sessions. Thank heaven for little girls because little girls are getting bigger all the time. Okay, stuff like this. I mean, they were straight up pervs. And pedophiles, and they put on a face to go do Sunday services, and there was a very conniving vibe that young people wouldn't think much of. They thought, this is just, you know, who my mentors. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. To continue with the article, T said that she and her sister, who had been indoctrinated since childhood, chose to stay at the Morningland compound rather than leave with their mother. They had a hard time deciding whether they should even say goodbye to Judy, and in the end, only Frankie opted to. And I would like to say that I didn't even know that until recently when I talked to my mom in 2021 that I went and said goodbye. I have no recall of that day. It was so traumatic. And um, I think you have also said that you didn't have a choice. I wasn't given a choice. And yet that 
depicts a, a, a thought that you were given a choice. Oh, yeah. No, it was earlier that day. Go get your stuff. You'll be sleeping here now. End of conversation. So that kind of big life change wasn't even discussed. So you know what kind of like things are going on there when you wouldn't even say, now let's talk about how does this make you feel? No. <laughs> Hell no. None of that. Yeah. That's so heartbreaking. It makes me mad all over again, honestly. The Frankie Files. This is a quote. They kicked her out, and then they had full access to us, T said. My sister and I became concubines at that point. It was extremely, extremely painful. Though no blood was shed, it was extremely painful. Tease claims that Patricia would order the twins to have sexual relations with her, as well as with other high-ranking clergy members. While Patricia has since died, Tease said three of her abusers are currently in charge of Morningland. So I have a correction there. Um ordered to have sex with her. A little bit inaccurate there. Um, it started by Saravati forcing us into a unplanned, by us, unnotified to us, initiation at the lodge. And a small vial was given to each of us. And I have no idea what was in there, but I know I had a three-way with my sister. And that's with Saravati. She is the number one groomer and aggressor under Sri Donato. We were never forced to have sex at that time with Sri Donato. Later, Sri Donato raped me before I finally left the place and said, I'd rather have nothing in my pocket than stay here another minute longer. And no belongings, too, by the way. So just a little clarification. Um, it would be like training sessions happening in the kitchen after hours or even during the day various times, we would get a tap on the shoulder, go help Shokru with that thing, or go help Saravati with that thing. This was a, these were orders to us to have sex. It wasn't friendly. It, it was, you know, to please one person. And um, yeah, and it was a bad experience. So, so that I just want to clarify what I'm saying. Now, this heavy petting stuff with Kamazi X5, he comes to the temple in 80. He comes into the inner circle and sits at the master's feet and is super charmed and she with him. And she baited him to stay with me, a 14-year-old redhead. And he would sit and hold my hand in these training sessions, pet my hair, look in my eyes. I was completely crushing on him. A 30-some-year-old dancer ballet dancer. And then he was brought in and initiated from Terry Smith to Kamazi X5. Now he goes by the Lama. But I have multiple times where I was with him at the lodge going up, just me and him, and have no idea what went on after we were up there. There's blackouts, there's smelling salts. So I know that things went on. I know, but their uh, memory has been obscured with something they did. And we do not know all the details of everything there. Hmm. I'm continuing. Morningland gives its members new names once they join. Besides Patricia Sparado, the Signal Tribune was only able to learn the legal birth names of one of the individuals Tease said groomed her, Terry Smith. Interrupting, Saravati's birth name is Peggy, and Gopi Shokru's birth name is Mary. Mary Weber. 
Weber, okay. Is Terry Smith known as the Llama within Morningland? The Morningland names of the two others have been identified as Saravati and Shokru. Judy said she spent the first three years after her excommunication trying to get the city of Long Beach to show concern about her daughters and other resident members of Morningland living on the compound to no avail. This is very true. She went on to continue her career. There, She didn't hide the fact that her children were still in Morningland. In December of of 86, concerned co-workers were delivering mail in the area around Morningland, informed Judy that the entire compound had been locked down because of a bomb had been discovered on the premises. While their mother didn't know it at the time, Tease was upstairs in the building where the bomb had been planted. According to multimedia reports on the incident at the time, the man who planted the bomb accused Morningland of aggressively trying to recruit his sister. Um, it happened to rain that day and the moisture caused the bomb to malfunction and fail to properly detonate. <sighs> That's a good thing. Around the same time as the bombing, Morningland was drawing controversy after investigations by the media. In October of 1986, the Long Beach Press-Telegram described how Morningland followers claimed that Patricia could cure people of AIDS. Another October 1986 article by the Associated Press described accusations by former members who accused Morningland of pressuring them to have abortions and vasectomies. What? That would be true. I would be one of those who was pressured. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we all have vasectomies. I mean... Oh, yeah, you didn't know that? Oh, my God, yeah. Everybody, and not, I don't know about everybody. And again, it was always like, well, you don't have to do this, but... Free will. Um, and were you yeah, given your free will. The, the line that it, it retains your energy better for the master? Yeah, yeah somehow it... Re- I mean, I, I remember, I, I just wrote this to somebody. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was the person who's uh, webmastering the, the revised xmorninglanders.com website. But um, yeah, what... What they did was um, they were telling everyone that that's how you you can best keep your spiritual energy. And I just thought, I don't I don't get that. I don't get how how retaining sperm in my body does anything for my spiritual energy. But again, under the category of the master knows best, but I didn't want to do Mm -hmm. it. And Celine, my wife at the time said, well, you know what? If you don't do it, I don't want I want to stop taking the pill. So I'm going to have a tubal ligation if you don't have don't have that done. So I just mm-hmm. decided. I mean, it was kind of a hard decision in a way. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, not entirely because, to be honest, I was never. My life wasn't really, you know, cut out for for the normal program anyway. I wasn't on a career path. I wasn't interested in having kids. I wasn't interested in a family. Mm-hmm. I was interested in spiritual growth. You know. Um, which at that time I associated 100% with Morningland. So, um, so I had it done, and and you know, and that was that. And I'm yes, I've there have been times when I've regretted it. Certainly, my mother regretted it. <laughs> she was like, "I'm never going to have grandkids." That I know. Well, definitely, um, definitely sad because it was such an influence on so many of us and she would talk about abortions like it was normal um you know i would like to decide that for myself 
you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, why does religion have to tell everyone what to do with their damn sex organs? Exactly. I know. I know. <laughs> so easy to control us after they do that but um also when i doing more research for this show um i discovered synanon had the same damn thing but they brought a doctor in to do mass vasectomies on premise oh my god on premises <laughs> on premise at synanon in la i believe I it was just see that just oh, wow like there is no limit when you when you g call it um, psychology or religion, people, things are done. Although Morningland was still shunning her, Judy said she would drive to the compound and sit inside her car every year on the twins' birthday, undeterred. Even when one year Morningland members came out and began to record and insult her, among them was one of her daughter's alleged abusers, the Lama. The same man who used to pick the twins up from school. Uh, in addition to what she put up there, that was true. Uh, the llama was uh, at my car, but so was Saravati, so was Shokru, so were um, about 10 other people. Yeah, they were at my car with um, a camera. So there was a camera and a great big lights pointing in my face. Uh, through the um, mm -hmm. window of my car. Wow. And Saravati had a microphone and she was talking to me and mocking me. Taunting. Yeah. there's. I have a tape, re tape recorded yep. um, proof of everything I'm saying because I was advised by my uh, an attorney to carry that recorder with me if I was going to sit by their property. And he also uh, suggested that I never get out of the car. So I didn't, I kept the, the windows up, almost just cracked a little so I could hear what was going on. And the other people of course were um, saying whatever Saravati wanted them to say. We're able to get an excerpt off of mom's surveillance tape way back in the 80s and here is an excerpt of that scene she's talking about what would you like to know you've got us all you don't have to watch us you have to take pictures you can say what you'd like to say right to us This may be, this could be the opportunity of a lifetime. Shot. You may never get this chance again. Say it, ask it. And again, the torture of Theravati aggressively participated in separating us from our mom, having us attend rehearsals at the music department at her direction through the direction of Sri Donato. So when, when she says things like, what are you here for? She knows exactly. She has helped terrorize this mother and separate her from her twins. 
it's astounding, like her audacity. And I had no, no idea that there had been sexual mm -hmm. um, torture. I, I consider it torture that uh, Frankie was going through, that both of them were going through. I had no idea. And I don't know whether this visit was um, prior to that, I, I have no idea. But even if it wasn't, the, it, that sex business was on their minds. They wanted it. And they're talking to the mother of the person, they people that they wanted to abuse. Is it obvious I don't have very high regards for these people? Yeah. I don't know how else. I mean, they're gutter criminals. Back to the article. Judy reached out to the Cult Awareness Network, a former organization that aided people who want to get their loved ones out of cults. She was told that the Cult Awareness Network mostly focused on adults who'd been lured into cults and that it would be exponentially harder to convince someone who'd been raised in a cult since childhood to leave. See, this is where I've been talking to children of God survivors. And I've been talking to other people and I'm most akin to them because the indoctrination and some of them are born in third generation. So I'm first generation, but came at age eight when your personality is just forming pre-teen. Very important because there was a sexual influence. Continuing, at age 22, T said she was subjected to her last particularly brutal sexual assault at the hand of Patricia, which finally convinced her to leave Morningland in 1986. She almost has that. I think I was 21 at the abuse and it was at the lodge and I was shunned and embarrassed um, by Sri Donato so she could cover the fact that I was moping because I had been sexually assaulted. And she's really manipulative, Sri Donato. But that was at age 20 or 21. And then I finally left in 87 after trying to leave a couple of times, but I didn't have any money. So I would end up going back, playing the game. Well, how can I get out? You know, I'm sleeping there. I'm being sexually abused. I'm being used for work. And um, it got really tense in the end. You know, I would lock myself in the bathroom as much as possible. I had trouble sitting for eight hours a day. Once I had gotten out in the world and started moving around like a regular human, I realized like this whole bounding into the chair thing, smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, was super unhealthy. Just Gopi Saravati had chastised me. I remember particularly uh, odd incident for smoking my first cigarette with schoolmate. She sat me down in a private room and said, now, why wouldn't you smoke your first cigarette with us and with the master? And I just looked at her like, like, you're, you're not cool. I was doing this with my peers. I wasn't supposed to say anything. And I think that was a real indicator for me how much control they wanted over me. I didn't get it at the time. That visit let me know you shouldn't do things on your own like that. The master doesn't approve. I was like, oh. But I remember we smoked cigarette and listened to Fleetwood Mac rumors the entire album. It was like one of those good teenage moments I had. One of very few. Patricia eventually died in 04, and her body was buried under an altar on the Morningland compound, where it remains to this day. Breaking the silence. Having been pulled from high school by Morningland, Tease said she had no education and was unprepared to enter the outside world. She was able to start a career through exotic dancing and burlesque, and went on to start organizing shows in Las Vegas.
Tease and her mother were able to reconnect after a complicated healing process. When they first met again, Tease confronted Judy with her memories of sexual abuse in Morningland, which Judy had been previously unaware of. After that, Tease and Judy didn't talk for seven years. But in 2021, mother and daughter were able to reconcile, and Tease is now coming forward with her story. She's been reaching out to local news outlets, started a podcast discussing Morningland, and is currently working on a memoir about her time in the alleged cult. Quote, this is a perspective I can bring, Tease told the Signal Tribune. I didn't get lured in. I was just there with my mom and conditioned. I was never responsible for being attracted to these ideas so I can speak with impunity about how stupid this is. This is the advantage the cold kid has. Questions left unanswered. The Signal Tribune reached out to the Long Beach Police Department to ask if the police had investigated or had any information that could be shared with the public regarding whether people are allowed to reside on the Morningland property. LBPD spokesperson Richard Majaya replied, Quote, unless you're inquiring about a specific incident that has a corresponding date, time, and police response, I wouldn't be able to search the criminal history of a residence nor an individual. According to Long Beach Development Services, the area can be used for a mix of commercial and residential uses. However, when specifically asked if the Morningland building, located at 2600 East 7th Street, was able to be used as a residence, Development Services said, quote, at this time, the Development Services Department is not able to readily access the historical records on the property to determine whether people have been allowed to live at the property. Oh, God, I have a comment. The first time I was brought into, quote, Mark's training, maybe 14, 15, 16, I can't remember, I was brought, you know, because this was the the group of six that she had two commissies, two daughters of Isis and two gopis. All right. And the two gopis were Saravati and Shokru? That is correct. Okay. And the one day that blew my mind and I'll never be the same, really, <laughs> my mind went inside out the day this happened. Sri Donato took us on a tour of the compound. This is the place I'd been since age 10, 12, you know. Well, on the property starting at age eight at Ohio and seventh, and then it expanded. Well, she took us on the main temple building, a, a tour and showed us where each of these people were living. I had no idea. Saravati was living in a locked closet off of the middle um, teaching room upstairs, which had a window overlooking the back door to the kitchen. She There was a long, skinny room. She had her bed and other amenities in there, and it was a locked room. Shokru was living in a section of Sri Donato's property, Sri Donato lived behind the, let's see, two-tiered split door that was an office off of the main hall, across from the think tank. As you go in, it's all books. 
in a bathroom with the full amenities. You go into another room, all straw mat on the floor and a bed. You go into the next room, all straw mat on the floor and a bed with all ornations. That was Shokru and Saravati's quarters at the time I knew. Then if you go in to the other double door that's never opened on 7th Street and you go back beside the temple in kind of a meeting room slash library, all the way back, there's a locked door. That's where ComZX1 was living. Big quarters, like a square. And um, after I saw this, I was like, oh my God, these people are all have been living here all these years? I had no idea how secretive is that. Mind blown. Mind blown. Well, I knew... I knew that I knew that even back in the time when I was there, which was, you know, mm-hmm. late seventies, early eighties, um, I knew mm-hmm. that Patricia was living there. And I and I figured her her quarters were let's see now, it may have changed, but it th- there were two ways to come into the f- right. the front off of Seventh Street. There was one one door that faced directly out onto Seventh Street and then one kind of a, if you're standing in front of the temple, kind of around the left that came that you you entered by walking you know parallel to the to the sidewalk kind of so it came in at ninety degrees to the to the big front door, both of them the the one on the the big front door came into a like a lobby and then to the right mm-hmm. there was a room that went back that might have been the one you're talking about that's comes the X ones yeah exactly but then if you go to the left and if you just walk straight you'd walk right out the door that i was the other door i was talking about but if you stop and turn to your right there was the front desk Mm -hmm. and behind there was a little a little room that we used to have certain meetings in and then off of that was the room that i think were patricia's quarters and then back there was more behind there by the way slightly related to this you may not know or maybe you do but um you remember Poshad, right? He was in the Feathered Serpent in the band with me and and Tamakavi, Steve, and and you know Judy. You remember him for sure. I mean, Mary Jo's husband. Well, we've reconnected recently. He lives in Hawaii. I lived with him up in Redondo Beach for about a year, less than a year. He's been out for for decades, as long as I have, longer probably. But but any rate, um, he was telling me one day when we were talking on the phone, I don't know, a year or two ago, that. One day, he needed money for something. I think it was rent. He said, well, just come with us. He said, he said, I went down. You know you know how some, some addicts have like a trap door in the ceiling and the ladder comes down? I don't know if it was like that or if it went down, like a little basement, whatever. He went down. He said, they had suitcases full of money. They just said, here, just take whatever you need. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I mean, not a surprise. We paid for everything with cash, right? Um, well, ever since the $10,000 check almost put exactly. her in prison, she switched exactly. to cash. Yeah. I mean, so, oh, God almighty. just what Can a- we put this in print? Sure. Fine with me. I mean, it's, it's hearsay. It's totally hearsay. And he said, I, I never could understand why I would get away with shit. And nobody and other people got busted for nothing. Example, Judy, you, just because of whatever it was. I mean, a little bit of a digression here, but the way I look at it is they had a psychic ability akin to 
an animal psychic nature that spots weakness, that spots, you know, um, I don't know what else to call it, maybe gentleness or maybe, I don't know what, but they, they just attacked you because they could. And of course, doubly that you had these, you know, these two beautiful daughters that they could, you know, have their way with. But, but Paul, on the other hand, you know, came to the temple drunk half the time. Um, never, they would just laugh about it, never got any kind of shit for it. Um, he finally just left. I guess he just got sick of it. I mean, he has a very, rather unique story. The one of the things I see is that they, they had distinctly different relationships with just about everybody. You know, your experience, my experience, his experience, they're, they're all couldn't be more different. Um, and there was nothing um, holy about what was going on here. People being singled out and and uh, treated like criminals because they wanted something from them, ran game on them, and then other people not bothered because they liked them. Quite simply, they, they liked what they were about. They were also degenerates. <laughs> and I'm just saying, you know, like it's insane. And for people listening, there's a picture quite um articulate picture an aerial view they might have got this uh with a drone the signal tribune recently and the picture on this article which it'll be in the show notes the link to the article shows the aerial view of the property which is an entire city block and in the middle of it you can see where um there's like a square that's where the quarters that we were talking about the center of the building is where Sri Donato used to reside and there is a skylight one time someone broke in that skylight and maybe they were looking for this money that had been heard of could be well you know what paul told me one time and i don't know if you remember but he was Back at that time, he was kind of considered like security, but it might have been him. <laughs> I'm not sure. Lee, since you're looking at the uh, building picture, the picture of the building, just to show you where I was parked when I was surrounded, this was at night, and there's a white car to the right of the entrance of um, the, Molino. Yeah, on Molino. There you go. White car. That's where I was parked. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. Gotcha. Right, right there by the doors to go into the, to the uh, the temple room room. And that would be considered public property. Yes. So that's the, uh, the other part of the audacity of them pretending like. Just thought I. But Scientology does the same thing. To, to the people who hang out oh, it's trying to see new. ex-members, the shunning and the fair game, calling someone a suppressive person. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. The Frankie Files. Those who drive by the compound today will notice numerous security cameras on the outer walls and that the large windows of each storefront have been completely covered, keeping anyone outside from peering in. The Signal Tribune reached out to Morningland, which declined to comment on Teese's accusations. 
If you or a loved one has information about Morningland Compound or would like to share a personal story about the religious sect, please send an email to Kristen97Naim at gmail.com. And for those of you listening who would like to send to Signal Tribune, Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N 97, and is in Nancy, A-E-E-M at gmail.com. All of those sabbaticals and suspensions or whatever they want to call them, it, it, it was isolating someone she might need in the future. For something, in my opinion, like when Donato first died, my whole family was sent on sabbatical. Remember that? I remember that. And then it was like eight, six, eight months. And then she called all these people back to the temple. And I'm thinking, I wish we never got that call. Holy God. But those sabbaticals, those those isolating certain groups or people from each other. Oh, my God. She was so adroit at this because it was like quarantine from the information that could split their mind. So it sounds like she quarantined Gion. She would make all these public statements to the press. Gion was quite out front. Judy and Lee, as a group, I'd just like to say thank you again to Signal Tribune and Kristen Naim. This is the first um, true crime angle article that's been out in like 20 years. Yes. About Morningland, we really appreciate her doing it in the region, right next to Morningland and Signal Hill. Um, Morningland's in Long Beach. So there's a lot of crossover, and people might really appreciate knowing what goes on there and the cavalier manner with which they treat people. You guys are amazing. Thank you for helping me. Thank you to Leo and Mom for joining me to articulate our stories and thoughts about this in-depth article. Thank you to Kristen Naim for writing it. Lee has been involved at xmorninglanders.com and is still helping the new webmasters keep it going. Though it's a softer approach than mine, I recommend perusing x-morninglanders.com for more details about the place. Lee was friends with the original webmaster, Al Stone, after leaving Morningland Church. Al has since died as of 2014. A lot of people want to get answers and get the stories past the 80s forward from those who no longer worship the deceased male leader, Donato, like I do not. I hope those of you out there like me will come forward and speak on this podcast. If you've been abused, we want to know. Why are people still being allowed to live on premise at 2600 East 7th Street in this mixed zoning area? Why are stories of abuse not commented on by current Morningland clergy? How come people in the immediate neighborhood don't know there was a bomb scare right on premise? and that Morningland engages in dangerous recruiting behavior. These are the questions for the Morningland papers on Frankie Files podcast. And there is much more to come. Soon we have ex-member interviews and an author interview from a very intense memoir written about Morningland. Thanks for listening to Frankie Files podcast. 
Subscribing, sharing, and donating to the show are a couple of ways you can get involved and support our efforts. After decades of silence, I'm speaking against the crimes which took place at this compound, and we're just getting started. No more softball approaches. This place must see the light of day of exposure. Its victims must be heard. If you're a person who went to Morningland and want to tell your story, contact us at frankiefilespodcast.com. And always, keep critical thinking. If you would like information on cults in the news, please join my new substack, frankietees.substack.com. 